Hello, Passe. Hey, Ramon. Welcome back to Strictly Type after a very long break. Yeah, we're back. This is episode seven, and we want to discuss the workflow for big applications with you today. Before we jump straight into that, I think you had a bit of a um, warm-up, follow-up-ish. Yeah, so it felt like after, I don't even know how long it's been, but... It was back uh, in May, after in the May. Google I.O. Oh, wow, yeah, I was in San Francisco. feels like follow-up doesn't really make too much sense here, so I've just had some topics of uh, things I was working on um, recently. So um, I moved this server, and I was wondering, do you have any VPSs, any service in the cloud or in, on other services yes. um so i don't have a vps as per se uh i've got uh well the the services the the api of uh, my application according they run on a shared server but i've got my own instance of tomcat uh yeah tomcat really yes wow uh, I'm a, yeah. i didn't know you were so enterprise back in the day yeah so enterprise uh so yeah i've got uh my own uh, tomcat Tomcat uh, instance, uh, yeah, that's where I run my my. my I'm, I'm curious, how, how much do you pay for that roughly a month? So that is, uh, it's not. I don't pay per month. I pay 135 dollars per year. Oh wow! Okay. And I think I get 192 megabytes of memory and then unlimited bandwidth. Which ah, is yeah, okay, I guess if you care about the bandwidth. So I had a server on DigitalOcean, and I mean, they are already ridiculously cheap, and you get a lot for that. But uh, I wanted to deploy something new, and that, that would be my, my second topic here. I had a bot that I was working on, and I needed to deploy some uh, HTTP endpoints. And since I was working with my server, I thought uh, I might as well look around if there are now some new alternatives to DigitalOcean, because they, I, I know, they, they started like small and lean and everything, and now they have a lot of stuff on top of it, which I don't really use anymore. And I found Scaleway. I think they made it into the headlines because they offer ARM servers. So yeah. um, instead of x86, uh, um, they actually ran out of ARM instances. So they don't actually sell them anymore, at, at least not at the moment. But they also have ridiculously cheap um, x86 instances. So what, sorry to interrupt. Uh, so what are the advantages as a user to get ARM instead of um x86 as a user I, I honestly don't know especially if it's um in a server environment for them it's actually great uh, obviously great because the power consumption right? exactly and power consumption and cooling and, yeah. everything is a lot cheaper um yeah but i thought maybe i could actually try this because the only thing i really run on it uh, run on it is a bunch of small binaries that expose http endpoints and a postfix instance so that should all run pretty well on this okay but then i saw i, I actually have to look this up but i think it was like three euros a month and you get um what is it here you get two gigabytes of memory and two um 64 bit cores for three euros a month and uh, i just wanted to give this one a try okay. and also i think they don't have a traffic limit there so it might be interesting for That's you as well bad. yeah oh uh, to be fair i've been thinking of uh, migrating to my own vps for a while but i just haven't got to it and we're definitely not sponsored by them but have you <laughs> checked Linode or Linode or whatever is uh, Linode. Yeah, I had them. Uh, I I used them in the past. Um, yep. They're a bit more pricey. You get a bit more monitoring stuff on top of it. Um, I my my requirements are so low for this. Uh, even if they go offline for an hour, I don't really care because SMTP is pretty resilient. They would just retry and uh, well, our um, podcast feed runs over them. But okay. I think most podcasting clients will be fine re retrying at a later point as well. I guess for new subscribers it would be a bit inconvenient, but 
yeah otherwise should be okay and in terms of scalability how how do this different service uh, services work i mean if you need more instances or is it easy to expand or do you need to reprovision everything do you i mean i haven't really done this much but i know that aws for example is like Yeah, well, to be honest, I don't really care all that much about scalability for my <laughs> personal crap. But um, in theory, I could just spin up another another instance, even use a snapshot to provision them or basically completely replicate them, including yep. the SSH keys, which might be not a good idea. But uh, then put put another DNS record in and just basically go round robin based on that. Yeah. So that would be easy. Um, but what I found super useful in that case is that. Um, That, that instance was four years old, so it was on some, I guess, then 12.04 Ubuntu instance. Uh, and I used my uh, a bunch of Ansible scripts to provision them back in the days and just try to use them on this uh, now 16.04 Ubuntu. And it basically worked with all, almost no customizations I had to, had to do. So I switched over from my four-year-old instance to the new one on Scaleway in maybe half an hour. It's yeah. pretty good to see. When you say almost known, what kind of things did you have to modify? I think there was one. Oh yeah, I had to install Note uh, Node.js, and I think they changed the package name or something between the Ubuntu releases. Okay, what's really cool. good? Do you use any provisioning scripts at all? <laughs> no, like I was telling you before the we started recording, I'm I'm the worst at this. Uh, I'm lucky that the services my API provides are very simple, and everything is pretty much. All the configuration is just a properties file um, that I can easily recreate. So there's not much, there are not many dependencies apart from Tomcat and some security, Java security certificates and things like that. You know, those you need to install for like strong encryption. I think. Do you know those? Uh, well, yeah, I've never done this with yeah. Tomcat, but at least for Nginx. Uh, it's a, a Java runtime thing. If you want oh, to okay. use strong encryption, you need to install some extra export compliant stuff that uh, the standard uh, Java runtime doesn't ship with. Oh yeah, uh, that was actually uh, another change I made to my scripts. It's It now automatically um, sets up Let's Encrypt for the HTTPS certificates, so I don't need to do anything there now. I just, uh, it even sets up a cron job to renew them every month. Perfect. Yeah, that's really nice. That's really cool, man. Right, so you had another, um, another topic in the list, um, which I guess is we discovered isn't it the pure script um so yeah the reason why i set up a new thing that was for my for my bot and i just wanted to check a bunch of uh, check out a bunch of different bot apis because this is like the hot new thing and uh, I, i think I, i need to preface this with a bit of a rant i feel like those bot things are still incredibly overhyped it's just a bunch of people who think they can replicate what wechat is doing in china while completely ignoring the environment in which this works which is Low bandwidth, uh, restricted, underpowered phones, and sorry for people that don't know what is WeChat doing in China. I, I can't really tell you. I've never used it. But They're pretty much doing everything you may. Yeah, it's like an operating system yeah. inside of an app. So everything that goes through that app, if you want to uh, hail a car, if you want to yeah, pay your doctor, tickets. yeah, exactly. If you want to buy buy tickets to anything, everything goes through the app, and people here think, "Oh my god, this is amazing! We can use." Uh, don't know, DMs, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, to do exactly this. We will communicate only through bots and websites and separate apps will be obsolete. And we, we, we're just in a different environment and that doesn't make much sense. But that said, I wanted to check out 
uh, the APIs that they have. And I uh, went with Facebook Messenger because I think they were one of the latest additions to this and they use webhooks and it looked pretty nice. Um, but well, I, I started downloading one of their starter kits for JavaScript and worked on it for a couple nights and uh, I got it working, but I had so many runtime uh, issues there. I'm just not used to working in untyped languages anymore. And so I, th I I realized, oh my God, I'm not enjoying this at all. I'm like spending my nights here, my, my evenings working on this and I'm just hating it. So I was pretty close to just rewriting everything in PureScript, but then I realized, or uh, well, I was thinking, oh yeah, I could use TypeScript or um, what's the other one, Flow to make it a bit more uh, manageable. Then, oh yeah, maybe I could just use PureScript for the parts that are constantly breaking and use the FFI mechanism, so the foreign function interface, which is really nice there. And it's pure script can be a bit intimidating because it's a really small community and i feel like everyone there who's part of the community is a, a type theory vi wizard and <laughs> category master uh, category theory master uh, so i haven't published anything yet but um just being super pra pragmatic and using m very imperative code for for the most parts and uh, outsourcing everything to the ffi uh, where uh, where i already had code that worked uh, worked really well for me and i feel like I've regained a bunch of my sanity from from going down that route. Great. I'm really glad to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You've also you also mentioned in the notes here that uh we've got quite a few followers on our the coming from a pure script. Is it because you've been interacting with the community much or it might be because of the lambda in our logo. <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome. Yeah, welcome everyone. Uh Okay, so shall we jump straight into the main topic for the yes, show? Yes. Okay. So, like Pascal said at the beginning uh, in the tr introduction, uh, we're going to be talking about a workflow. Uh, we're going to be talking about the workflow we use here at Twitter. We get asked this question quite a lot um, when we when we speak to fellow developers and fellow uh, people from the from the community, and we will also compare what we do here to what works for the different team sizes or like solo developers, like small uh, workshops and things like that uh, based on the experience we have individually. So I think in any development workflow, the first thing uh, and probably the most hated part is planning and project management, right? Yeah, just just to frame this a bit. So it's um, we obviously will describe this from a Twitter perspective, but I think that most big companies, and I think of in terms of Google, Facebook, yeah, maybe like Airbnb, LinkedIn, everyone there works with a very similar model to this, which still seems to be very different from what you would see as an individual developer or in a developer in a really small team or even in a um, early early stage yeah. startup we'll touch on this a bit later when we talk about uh release notes for the apps exactly this, yeah. yeah this is one of those questions we get all the time which seems completely obvious from from within here like why are there no release notes what are you guys doing yeah yeah so everything we're going to talk from here on reflects on the final release notes and why they are so generic and they usually just say like performance improvement and bug fixes or the typical facebook ones like we release an update every two weeks like make sure you have auto update enabled and things like that um so yeah, like I said, um, shall we start from project management and and planning? Um, yeah, sounds good. Okay, so first of all, for those of you that 
don't know yet what we're talking about. We're talking mainly about Jira, um, the big name. Uh, what other tools for project, ma project management have you used before we jump straight into how we use Jira? Oh, personally, I think I've used pretty much everything that was out there before I joined <laughs> Twitter, at least. Uh, Did you get to use Pivotal Tracker when we yes. were at Twi uh, TwitDeck? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually used it here and at the job I had before. Pivotal Tracker and uh, what's the one that 37 Signals has? Um, the very plain one. Uh, yeah. Sorry, blanking on the name here. But yeah, we've tried all the project trackers. And normally, if you go for the very simple ones, you will at some point realize, oh, there's this one feature that would make our life so much easier, but it's not in here. Mm -hmm. uh, then you go, <laughs> yeah, you take the next step, take the more complicated one, and already realize, ah, now I'm using like 50% of the features that are in here, but I really need this one. Yeah. And uh, then, then you realize Jira. there's another <laughs> missing feature. And at the end, you end up with Jira, yeah. And you have one dedicated person whose job is is just to disable things <laughs> or make them from you. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, um, I completely agree with what you've said. Like things I'm using at the moment are personally I'm using only Trello uh, because you can very easily recreate a typical flow of having different columns like backlog. Uh, to do, sorry, uh, to do and backlog is the same. Uh, so the backlog in progress and done, uh, that typical workflow. Right, L let's talk about this real quick. So if we have um, a typical project here, but we're talking feature development, so something yeah. that the user will ultimately see, um, who adds stories, what ends up in the backlog, how do we get there? Okay, so typically, typically stories and bugs uh, all land in some bucket. Uh, so QA will be filing bugs and some other uh, internal tests, uh, some other employees that use our own dog food in version of the app uh, can report bugs directly from, from the app. Those will land mainly in the same bucket. Uh, like I said, product uh, and design will add new new stories to, the, to that backlog. And yeah, from then you have a massive bag of things uh, that are not curated or, or groomed from then on, uh, during planning, we need to get to a point where we have a clear set of things that are we can work on for the week, for the sprint. Um, we sh we're currently using one-week sprints, right? Although we've tried with two-week two sprints. Yeah, it really depends on the stage of the project. I know some teams are within Twitter work completely differently. So that, that's up to the individual teams what works best for them. So some just have one big backlog and you take a story, work on it, and don't yeah. have any... Um, fixed sprints or planning meetings yeah so in the ideal case scenario you you have this planning session where you basically gonna size um, you're gonna decide how big stories are and based on what the what product have decided that are the priorities for the, the current priorities for the team um, so based on that uh, the different developers decide how big they are and how much they can fit in the the, cur the current sprint. I quite like when we used to play the estimation poker or was the the, po the planning poker. The yeah. planning poker. Uh, we don't seem to do it that much. Um, do you have any preference on that? Any opinion? On no. We also talked quite a bit about the way we uh, gauge how big a story is with points in general, yeah. which scale you would apply for for them. So currently we try something that is close to Fibonacci sequences yeah. um, for the size but yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's not ideal but it, it still helps to communicate how 
what do you think how much it, it will take to implement something yeah when do you think a story because there are, there are big debates on this when do you think a story is too big to be pl- uh, to be added to the to the sprint and needs to be broken down what's your rule of thumb in your head um i feel uh, definitely if it's something that will take one developer more than a week then it's definitely something that should be broken down a week or a sprint a week independent okay. of the sprint size i feel like there are some cases where it actually makes sense to go heads down into one story that may take up to a week so i don't think it's sensible to spend another day up front to break everything down for many it, it may but there are some super technical in-depth topics that just require a bunch of research and yeah then it might be just an eight point story or something that will take you the entire week okay cool uh you're saying yeah you, you mentioned eight and fibonacci like we usually try to use one two three five and eight maximum uh five fivers are the largest stories we usually fit in in a sprint uh which are things that can take up to a week uh, up to a whole week right yeah i still feel like you should look at it on a case-by-case basis if it's uh implement this timeline and uh, it's super opaque then you should definitely break it down so you can analyze this better but if it's a very technical task like implement hls streaming for the player even then you might be able to create uh, individual stories around it but if you're the only person working on it anyway then just just go ahead and don't waste your time on trying to break down stories and spend your time at Jira. Yeah. Cool. So um, you mentioned dog food there. I just wanted to pick this up real quick. I yeah. think most people will be familiar with the term, but in case they aren't, um, it's just the way how we internally test applications. So what we do here is for both at least Android and iOS, we have daily builds that are sent out to all the employees that are signed up for them. And if you have a workforce of uh, 3,000 or more people like we have, it's already a very good early stage test setup. So if you have some big crashes uh, in the app, then they will definitely be caught. And you also get early feedback on features before they go out to anyone else. Yeah, and these are versions that we test internally before they go to the beta channels, alpha channels, or any similar uh, testing channels. So yeah, it's a a great, great tool for for teams and and companies to test their own uh, yeah something that is closely related is the topic of feature switches and that's actually a big one um shall we pick this one up now yeah so just to wrap the planning part so ideally after the planning session you end up with a a sprint worth of task to work on yeah um just because we also wanted to talk about tooling so for the project management we use jira for dog feeding we unsurprisingly use a crashlytics beta yep. so that's just a tool where you can upload um, also automatically upload um, artifacts to and then for android and ios there are apps that will then fetch them and ask you politely to update to the latest version yeah so on feature switches um they are definitely a big um a big thing here they are really important because we merge everything into master all the time. We have yeah. no long-running feature branches. And the reason for that is that uh, uh, in a company that moves so fast or in a code base that moves so fast, it's inevitable to run into huge merge conflicts if you have long-running branches. So yeah. we try to merge stuff into master, into mainline as quickly as possible. And This is very important because you need to 
sometimes you need to change for some developers they 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 need to change the way they think of their patches uh some people think um of a commit as a, a milestone in the i don't know like okay before lunch i will commit everything i've done and push it to my branch for our for us here is very different like when you commit a commit is a completed feature or like a standalone part of a feature something that doesn't break that it works that can be enabled or disabled that it definitely doesn't make the app any worse which i think it differs quite a bit from another type of commit mid branch uh, mid development and yeah, it's it's not uncommon to have long running branches that which uh, have I intermediate stages where they are completely unusable, so yeah. break everything, and that's fine because they're not in the final point. But um, you said something there. You said every commit is a complete feature, so that's not quite what what we mean by this. So it's it's a stable point in time, so something that won't break the app. Every commit will be stable and will be basically an improvement over <laughs> the previous commit. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was. What I meant is a complete feature for a given meaning of feature. Yeah, um, yeah. That doesn't mean um, the, the feature implements, for example, moments that wasn't landed in an, in a single yeah, exactly. commit, but probably within hundreds and or thousands even. Yeah, but but the feature could have been could have been add the moments button to the top bar. Exactly. Yeah. That 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 was the feature. Like, and what I mean is we didn't have three different commits. One add the icon for the button then another commit add the button that uses the the previous icon and then add a handler for the button tap exactly yeah. so it's a feature in the sense of what you will see back in in the planning something that corresponds to a story and that's actually a requirement we have here so every commit that goes in has to have a link to your story in jira yeah exactly also just to make sure that uh, uh this is i think this is very common but everything uh just to make sure that the the build doesn't break we have the typical um ci uh continuous integration hooks that will run series of tests and validation tests it will lint the code just to make sure that um all of those verification steps are, are processed before the thing is merged and i think on ios at least we even have a post merge uh step where some uh, integration tests and ui tests are run yeah, that's that's a big topic in itself um, to to wrap up features, which is what is important is we normally just have a features which which uh, checks for a given key, which is a string, which we define mm -hmm. in a separate repository where we have the configuration for this. And it's not just a simple on and off, um, but you can use this for experiments as well. You can say we want to test how users uh, behave differently if we enable this for 99% uh, yeah. compared to the hold back of one percent well in our case actually um for exp if you do that for for experimentation you don't get the metrics associated to it like um you you see what i mean um so you can segregate users based on a feature switch um but the the metrics part like we use a different framework for for that yeah but um the the underlying Ideas the same, yeah. yeah. And what we can also do is we can enable or disable this for certain groups of users. And that goes back to dog fooding. In dog food, you normally have a lot more features than what um, the product the user will see in the production app. Yeah. And this is important to segregate your users through uh, the different paths. So you make sure that all your code paths 
uh, exercise and not only your happy path uh, because if one day you need to turn the feature switch off if you haven't been testing your ugly path yeah uh, things may go really really wrong um, from yeah, crashing or a defaced uh, app uh, or exposing things you don't want to expose and very bad things can happen so yeah, I usually tend to I know people dis disagree with this, but I never turn feature switches completely on, at least for our internal usage, um, for our dog food in. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a good practice because then we can make the jump to testing. Even if you have integration tests in place, it's almost impossible to test all the combinations because you have the combin combinatorial explosion there of the different, different feature switches. I don't even know how many there are, but um, it takes quite a while to just scroll through the list that we have there yeah yeah so in terms of testing um you mentioned ci there we internally use jenkins for most of the things um it's just super extensible you can have uh different pipelines which run in parallel and test different parts of the app so for android we have one which just executes the unit tests um, all of this happens before um, you're able to merge anything into master and then just as on iOS, we have one task which runs, I don't think after every commit, but on a regular interval, just uh, checking master for regressions and runs um, a test suite, which uh, checks like time to tweet, can you send an image, just, just the basic tasks. Yeah. And yeah, we also do a lot of linting, especially on Android. This is a really big deal. Yeah. I don't really know if you do much there on iOS, so uh, kind of like to know what what you have there. Yeah, we we, we do quite a lot, um, especially now with um, with nullability nullability checks. Uh, we usually uh, get many errors or many warnings that we we usually wouldn't check, but we have very strict checks from the order of imports. They need to be frameworks at the top. Well, now with the import that is changing a little bit. But we sort them alphabetically. Um, we have checks for unused variables just to make sure that um, you don't declare random variables and they're not used. We've got nullability checks. Um, uh, what else? Yeah, we've we've got plenty plenty of checks that get run as soon as you push a commit. Have you always had those, or were they basically dialed up over time? Um, they've been dialed up, but since I started working on the iOS code base, they've been in place. Right. So yeah. Okay. So for for me, it was um, similar. So I've seen us basically having no lint checks and now having lint checks for pretty much everything. I was yeah. wondering if you've seen anything uh, for your code reviews, how that has affected them over time. Um, cause not really on iOS. I just got used to um, some of the things, and most right. of them. Well, I think all of them make a lot of sense. So I've never had to to fight any of those. Yeah, it's it's not even that much about fighting, but I find find it incredibly helpful to have a strict set of guidelines, which alleviate the need to discuss them in a code review if it's like oh yeah i think you should use two spaces here and by the way can you please reorder your inputs here in alphabetical order and annotate this one here because it's nullable um mm. actually for the last one we don't have a strict uh, check yet but for everything else it's so helpful if you have a red um cross um, yeah. sitting yeah, next to your code review and you don't have to discuss this as at all it's like oh yeah i need to fix this so yeah uh, one very common discussion between uh, among iOS developers is whether you should wrap the uh, method signature, and, you know, after each parameter. You know that in, in Objective C, 
can be quite verbose and the signature can be very very long because it uses this kind of um, it names every 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 parameter and and the names are long. We stopped the discussion by okay, we don't wrap lines, so we've got big monitors, twenty seven inch monitors. So if you want to see the whole line in one in in a single line, you can see it. If you want it to wrap, the Xcode auto wraps not in a very nice way but it, it does it so there's no debate in our case okay and um, you've lint check for this to enforce that um yeah yeah i think so um uh, but also it's very clearly specified in in a in, in our wiki page like we don't right like okay it. yeah that's cool i think uh <laughs> uh the equivalent to that on android or java in general is the use of final and we oh, basically now yeah. settled on use final for everything where it can be yeah. used for. And uh, what definitely helps is we don't just have this as part of Jenkins. And um, so after you submit yeah. the patch, but we also send every everyone a pre-configuration for Android Studio, which yeah. will warn and apply things. So for example, automatically optimizing imports and organizing yeah, them at the top is, is done automatically for you. Yeah. And then additionally enforced by the Lint. Yeah. By the way, it's a topic for another another day but one day i would like to talk to you or i would like you to explain everything all the secrets behind the special word final in java because <laughs> i'm aware of the change of scope where the variable is stored and all that kind of stuff but all this myths about performance and stuff like that i would like to discuss one day uh, yeah i'd probably have to do some research as well there are definitely yep. some uh, cases where it can improve performance but that's at least for us that's not the main reason for doing it it's it's just that uh it makes it a bit easier to to reason about your your things yeah yeah uh, and also just yeah it relates to the immutability kind of uh, discussion but yeah even though that. that isn't really true well yeah okay <laughs> D different day okay so all this lints um help us in i think you advanced the the topic help us with code reviews right yes. um, avoid discussions uh, like stupid or unneeded discussions yeah and we should, should again take a step back so code review another big thing here we review every single commit before it's merged there's no commit that goes into master in yep. any part of the twitter organization before another at least one other pair yep. of eyes uh, has looked at it so master is locked down literally we cannot push to master even if we wanted to yep. um, i'm sure some people can but no one does and we don't have access like regular developers don't don't have access probably the the admin of the repos they they can somehow but i guess they could yeah <laughs> not us. i don't think anyone tries to yeah okay so yeah like you said we review every single commit and we've got a very strict kind of system with um different kind of votes on on a patch you can have plus one a patch that uh, you can plus to it you can give a plus one as an owner or as as the owner of an area of the code. Uh, what all the types of votes? You can have a design vote. Some of them are soft types of votes. Like, for example, if, if you're a designer and you just want to give your thumbs up on, okay, this looks as intended, you can, a designer usually will check out the, the branch and say plus one for design or if you ask for feedback on specific part of the code that you're not very familiar with, you can say, hey, Pascal, I've just touched this 
um, network library part that you wrote can you check that it looks good you can just say okay plus one for the network library and it means that the rest of the patch still needs to be thoroughly reviewed um, by the yeah. by the rest of the reviewers yeah maybe we should explain what the intent behind yep. all the bureaucracy is and it would be interesting to compare it to how some of the teams work with github and bitbucket and yeah. some other kind of review systems Okay, so um, the reason why we do this is if we work in a big app like the iOS and the Android app, the app you will probably never see every single line in the code base. And yep. at the very least, you won't understand every line there. But there are some people in the company who definitely do. And so when we, when I, for example, work on a video feature, there are some people here in the company who have w way better understanding how everything fits together than I do. And so I can add them to the review and ask them for either help or just get a plus one from them, which means, yep, this is all right. You're not breaking anything uh, from this. This is working as intended and this follows. Um, yeah, not the code style in, in the sense that a linter would check it, but in in the sense that it fits into the overall design of this. So that is where you would get a plus one for. You do, however, need a plus two to get it merged into the master and we still have the concept that not everyone can give you a plus two but only um a handful of people yeah so and the requirement for that has changed over time um but yeah. obviously you can imagine that is people that have some experience with the code base that they they've been working on it for a while they've they've proven that they've they are sensible person in uh, sensible people on how they they approve patches and they've been doing many reviews in the past just plus one in uh, that's an important requirement to be yeah exactly they know the way around in the code base they've been with the company for a while yeah. and you don't just start here with a plus two but this is uh yeah this is definitely intended because code reviews are in are particularly useful for people who've just started and don't really definitely. understand entire concept and getting feedback on your patches early on is uh, yeah. incredibly valuable yeah and yeah and it helps you at least it helped me a little bit to become more humble about my my code especially when i started here uh, i remember my first patch on TweetDeck. Uh, i got like three minus twos <laughs> in like five minutes and it was like nope 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 Nope, yeah, nope. so <laughs> maybe you should explain. So I think there's a label next next to them if you if you apply the minus two, minus one, and so on. So uh, a minus two is please rethink this. There's no way this is going to get in. Minus one means I've got some questions. So basically, please take, take the time to to answer them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It can actually be questions, or it can be something like, oh yeah, you've you've missed an annotation here. Yeah. Please rename this. I, I think a better name for this would be this and that. You can also just comment. That would be zero. Um, doesn't really do anything plus one means yeah this looks okay from my perspective but someone else needs to approve this or maybe you don't have the plus two rights and plus two then means yep this is cool um this can be merged and then you can uh, yeah. that enables a button which submits it to yeah. uh, to a queue yeah i'm not sure if you mentioned it uh, what well, we touched on it uh, very briefly uh, the concept of owners so if you touch certain parts of the code those those people that are defined as owners will need to plus one your patch at least before even if it's plus two you still need a plus one from them uh, before you can submit it yeah we've reduced the need for that yeah. uh, 
quite a bit. So when we both started on Android, pretty much every folder, so it was on a, or is still on a directory basis, but every directory had had an owner. So if you were working on, yeah. let's say, uh, the home timeline, there was a team that owned the home timeline. And if you touched any piece of code in there, someone from the home timeline team needed to plus two that, uh, plus one, sorry. Yeah. So needed to give you an owner approval. But for us being a remote team, it was a big pain. Big yes, pain. that's a different topic. I think uh, we can touch on that a bit more in the next episode, maybe. So anyway, but we've, but mo we've recently moved, well, a few months ago, we moved to migrating most of the owners to watchers. So right. people get notified that their code have been modified in uh, in a way, in somehow, and they have the chance to have a look. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes, it, uh, well, I, I'd say most of the time, uh, it's it's enough to just look at the change after it has been made. And yeah. if it's completely wrong, there's still you, you can still revert it. So I think we've gone to the other extreme in this respect. Now, now you, you, you don't get as much feedback and some things you're more likely to break things that you're not very familiar with, yeah. uh, especially once again, being a remote team, you may, you, you may be merging something before the guys in Boston, New York, San Francisco uh, wake up and you may have merged something before the they have the chance to to take a look at it so yeah that's yeah. true even though we we've still maintained some owners on really critical parts of the application so for example if you touch the network layer or probably everything uh revenue related yeah someone will need to sign that off and i think that's quite sensible yeah Cool. Um, we we still got a lot of topics we can touch on, but I think it's a really good time to break this up here and continue in the next episode, which hopefully should be uh, sooner than this one was. Yeah, I hope this was helpful for everyone. Uh, yeah, please give us feedback. Uh, if there's anything that we explained really, really poorly or we haven't explained at all, please let us know. All right, shall we move on to picks then? Yeah, sure. So what do you have? Um, so I, I talked about... Pure script there in the beginning, and there were two brilliant episodes on uh, JavaScript Jabber. Uh, one is the 189, which was with John DeGose and Phil Freeman, who both talk about um, Pure Script in particular. And then there was um, a very recent episode, the um, 225, with just John DeGose, who talks about functional programming. And it's not even JavaScript or pure script specific but i really enjoyed it a great deal he he just talks about the value of abstractions there and how it can help you make uh your make your programs easier to reason about and and follow the code and what it actually means if you introduce all those crazy sounding abstractions into your code so i highly recommend listening to both of them okay so i didn't add it to the list but uh and i've just thought of it actually and one of my picks is one open source project i've been working on lately a little bit and it is called yak yak and this is a ha hangouts client a much better client than what uh, google offers and it is really nice uh, the community is great um oh, having yeah. the ch I, I saw that uh, what is it based on is it a chrome app or is it a standalone desktop app or electron electron? Okay. electron app um yeah and it uses CoffeeScript. Uh, it works well, as you can imagine, Linux, uh, Mac, and Windows. Uh, I've been making some nice contributions. One of the things I, apart from fixing quite a few bugs, I'm working on adding spell check on it. I've got it working on, on Mac, but unfortunately the Node spell checker adds some native 
dependencies that oh, okay, I'm yeah. trying to get my head around. Um, so in theory, you can if you compile it on each of the the, the different platforms, uh, it works. I got it to work on on Linux. So what's preventing me from merging this patch is that at the moment we have uh, one compilation step. We can build the app in on Mac and it works for Windows and and Linux. If we are if you add a native dependency to this uh, node packet, one of these native node packages then you are forced to compile it individually in each of the platforms. And compiling this thing on Windows is just impossible. <laughs> Seriously, uh, I spent hours and hours. So yeah, I'll add a link to the notes uh, for, oh yeah, the, for the repo is, is nice. And give, give it a go if you use Hangouts regularly. This is so much nicer than... Oh yeah, and thanks for adding spell check. I, I feel like I'm completely lost whenever I use the app these days that doesn't have spell check. Like. <laughs> Yeah, me too. So I think that's like embarrassing if there's no that squiggly line under it after yeah. I've typed it for the first time. Like, ah, yeah, I don't feel right confident here. typing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so at the moment I'm maintaining my own branch that I will base on top of master with spell check. So if anyone, I, I will add uh, a link to the main repo and to my branch with the spell check. Um, so I hope someone finds it useful. Cool. I've got a hardware pick. Um, I've bought myself a laptop and I haven't done this oh. for over three years. Do you have access to a new MacBook Pro? <laughs> no, I obviously did not buy any Apple hardware because they only sell four plus year old shit at the moment. <laughs> uh, no, I bought myself a uh, Dell XPS 13. I had one in the past. Um, it is the developer edition with uh, which comes with Ubuntu pre-installed. <laughs> The Ubuntu installation is just comically bad. It's just so terrible. I mean, it's um the the screen is gorgeous. It's uh, quad HD or something. So it's, oh. it's definitely um high DPI, which Linux historically had pretty terrible support for. And uh, it's Ubuntu twelve o four that they ship with, and I think they've patched 1204? it. 1204, yeah. That's so April 2012. Yeah, well, it's, it's, <laughs> I think it's the last um, LTS yeah. that they had access to. And no, I think 1604 is another LTS release, but I haven't up updated to that yeah. one yet. Um, so just, uh, for example, the not notification pop-ups basically pop up in the middle of the screen because that is where <laughs> you would end up if you just half the screen. And some other things, um, well, I, I've removed it as, as quickly as I got it and put Arch Linux on it. And I still expected it to have some, I don't know, propri proprietary drivers that only Dell has access to. But everything worked. And that was the basically the most shocking thing I, I've experienced. Even notifications? About notifications worked. Um, most of the things related to high DPI work pretty well these days. I think I've only noticed one place where tray icons are incredibly small, but everything else seems to seems to be working Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, everything else that you would normally expect for a Linux laptop to yeah. completely bail on. Even volume up and volume down? All the keys, no. even keyboard backlight. But, I mean, they, they've built a laptop. How many kernels did you have to recompile to get those volume keys to work? Zero. Oh, but what I've, So it has a Skylake, uh, Skylake is right now, um, CPU architecture in there. And from what I've heard, they've only got support in uh, Linux 4.4, which isn't hasn't been out for that long. Okay. So uh, at least for the 12.4 that they ship with, they would have had to apply a crazy number of patches to make it work at all. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm liking it. I, I realized, I think just, just yesterday, that it actually has a touch screen, which even works on, on Linux. Uh, oh. I have no idea why I would use that. But I, I mean, now I have fingerprints on my screen. It's yep. just disgusting. Yeah, related to that, I'm, I'm due uh, a new laptop. So I'm still waiting for, for to see what Apple's going to release in, in September. 
hopefully. And I'm also looking into the Chromebooks now that they can they can run Android apps. Um, right. If anyone has a suggestion on a nice Chromebook, like with decent battery life and touchscreen, obviously for Android apps, uh, I'm more than open to suggestions. I'm surveying the market at the moment. Yeah, I was looking for one as well, but now I'm actually quite glad that I have a machine that is a bit beefier because yep. I, I do a lot of PureScript and Haskell in my free time. Yep. And it's quite nice to not wait for 50 minutes to have a single line of code compile there. <laughs> All right, so my pick, and I think you share it earlier a bit, is going to be a video game, as we sometimes do. And the video game in... Uh, in this occasion, is No Man's Sky. Oh, that could be controversial, Roman. Yeah. Okay. What's your score? Zero to ten. Ah, oh, man, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> we oh, lost this scores. is such a. Th th that's so difficult. Uh, so I've I've returned my copy. Okay, that's um, a zero. But it's not. I have enjoyed it for the first one or two hours, and then it felt so grindy, so repetitive, mm. and I think that's fine. That's fine if you look at it from a. a, a, a perspective of it being just an indie game of like 10 15 maybe 20 quid title yeah. but f i paid 46 for this and that's a triple a title and it's just a different set of expectations i uh, had on this and i wasn't really anyone who would follow this and uh see what uh, listen to every word sean murray sean murray sean murray said before I, i've did some research now on all the promises he made up front that he now didn't keep and that's um i think a different story but to me it felt like nah this is just not a 50 quid game that i want to spend more time on now yeah. by the way for those of you who don't know sean murray is the i don't know ceo or lead developer of hello games which is a studio that um made uh no man's sky yeah that's right yeah so anyway, my review, I didn't have the pressure of having paid 40 or 50 quid for the game because uh, I subscribed to a rental service called Boomerang Games. Yeah, if anyone please, wants please add a link to that in the yeah. show notes because you keep mentioning it all the time. Yeah, it's a great service. If anyone needs a referral code or something, I'm more than happy to provide it. And uh, with this service, I just, they just, you paid like a tenner uh, a month and you can get, you can rent as many games one at a time. I think there's another set layer that where you can get two at a time, but I just have the one at a time. So I just got the game, and I've, I share many of the complaints that you just mentioned. It's very repetitive. You have to farm a lot. It feels... I think they didn't deliver on many of the promises. Like, the worlds, to me, most of them feel the same. Um, uh, there's not that much vari variety on, on the flora, the fauna, or, or the planets. Yeah, but still, uh, I'm I'm quite enjoying it. Uh, I'm trying to get to the center of the galaxy. I'm still like 140. I'm I'm writing for you. 140,000 light years away. Um, I think I will get bored of it before I actually <laughs> reach it. But I'm I'm enjoying it. Uh, one of the problems uh, where I felt like returning the just sending it back and not spending more time was how crashy the game was at the beginning. Right. Yeah, that was another. Yeah. Thing, but so every time you would make a jump with your like a space jump with your your starship uh there was like i think it was a 20 percent chance that it would crash and it, you would lose your progress uh, if you hadn't saved yeah. just before the the, the the jump so luckily that's been fixed with the last the 1.04 and 1.05 patches it's much more stable haven't had any crash or any any glitch 
yeah. lately. So yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll keep uh, playing for a while. Yeah, I think what kind of disappointed me was if you play play it for just an hour or two, you basically extrapolate from your experience from that. It's like, oh my God, there's so much stuff and so much to explore and everything is going to be awesome. And then just two hours in, you realize I've basically seen everything this game yeah. has to offer. They're like, oh yeah, there's this Atlas quest series and there are a bunch more stations, but you've, you will have seen all of the aliens, all yeah. of the building blocks that planets are made of and the animals. And like, hmm, okay, yeah. that's basically it. All of the stations look exactly the same. They yeah. build like through three different models of base station and they just repeat them. Where they have a lot of variety is on the spaceships. Every time you go to <coughs> a space station, uh, you can see many of them coming and going and they have yeah. many different models and some of them are quite nice. They get they, they got a lot of inspiration from Star Wars right. and, and Star Trek as well. So cool. One more quick pick and I think that's a shared one as well is uh the TV show Mr. Robot which runs on the USA network and luckily for us here uh, in the UK on Amazon Prime and without any delays that is the best thing. You can watch it directly on every Thursday here. Uh that's fantastic. I don't I don't well we're talking about season 2 in this yeah. case here. Um, Before you guys stop listening I don't I don't want to spoil it. I okay. think we we're just going to keep it to you. please if you're not already watching it do it's a uh, it's fantastic i found the yeah i think i told you i found it a bit confusing the second season but now my mind is blown great cool and i think that's all we have for today um where can people find you online roman yeah so um you can find me at monchote m-o-n-c-h-o-t-e on twitter and you Passy? they can follow me at at Passy on twitter that's p-a-s-s-y yeah, and as always, you can find us, you can subscribe on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Castro, by the way. They've released a new version of the app that everyone's raving about. Oh, raving fantastic. About. You can also directly find us on SoundCloud. You can also comment comment there in line if you if you yeah. like. Um, on Twitter at Strictly Untyped. Um, yeah. Yeah, th so this has been another episode of the Strictly Untyped podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, you, I'm still not sure how many layers they are going to yeah. wrap this. <laughs> yeah, and that's the the beautiful thing about the you know because the first of the the, the end of the first season you could say okay th- this is just the new Fight Club or something like that. But if you got to the point where we've watched this far as of the 23rd of August, you can see that they they, they added at least one more layer, and like you said, there will probably even more yeah you know it's it's so interesting um <laughs> in these times because it's so difficult to keep a secret so i i hear you actually went in there unspoiled and I had know. no idea what, what was happening i think you're the only person on the internet who, who, who managed to yeah i <laughs> remain wish my in that face state. had been recorded when when <laughs> the, the secret was revealed it was like mine was just lighting up when uh what's her name Kristen? no it's something with k christy shit i'm so terrible with names um so the psychiatrist asked him so yeah. elliot what do you think where we are right now like yes it's happening <laughs> <laughs> finally the big reveal and i think it was just so artfully executed it was really well done i i definitely <laughs> knew it was coming but I, I still think that was really well done job there yeah yeah for me yeah when they finally revealed that suddenly my brain started connecting all the dots and it was it was a great experience. It was yeah. it was amazing. It's also good to see how well it can work when there's just basically one single creator um, controlling yeah. every single part of this. So it's not like George R. R. Martin who wrote some books and then didn't write any books anymore, and people have to work on top of what was there. Um, but He's the show writer, he's the show runner, uh, do the they script show, writer, and do they he's the director for all the episodes okay, of the I was second season. Him, yeah. Yeah. Because you often see in shows, where you can see the difference between one director or another. Oh yeah, I think House of Cards, there yeah. in particular, I, I noticed that a lot, because some of them had a very distinct David Fincher style. I don't think he directed any of them, but he yeah. gave some instructions, definitely. And this time, it's so clear that all of them have the same stylistic yeah, influence, all, yeah. The, all the episodes. How many left of this season two or three ah uh, well we was seven seven i think there's ten but I might so be three wrong. left yeah yeah should be good all right all right okay speak soon passy see you later buddy